Welcome to the Writer Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. That's me. And Larry Korea. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Today's episode, Michael A. Rothman, Expose, Round 1. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Writer Dojo. Glad to have you back with us today. Um, we're at 20 books. We decided to, uh, to grab as many cool people as we could. Um to do some interviews and stuff, get some different perspectives. And we thought for today, uh, and, and there, it's very likely this episode could end up being two. We're not sure yet. It depends on how long-winded we all decide to be. Um, we'll, we'll find out. But um, one of the most requested guests that we've had uh, in the Writer Dojo group has been Mike Rothman. And so we were like, well, hey, we're in Vegas. Rothman's in Vegas. We should probably do this thing where we get together and say hi. So we are currently uh, in his hotel room. Yep, we're in his hotel room. We're on his table, uh, on his 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 cool, very sleek looking hotel table. So, uh, Mike Rothman, glad to have you with us. Welcome to the show, man. Great to be here. So, for the first part, as we always do when we have guests, it's it's kind of the the moment for our guests to kind of talk about themselves, leave pride at the door. Uh, and, and just talk about themselves and kind of how they came to be doing what they're doing. So, uh, Mike, take it away. Tell it. I mean, how did you get into this whole writing thing to begin with? All right. So I will be the first person to say I'm not a natural writer. I never imagined this for myself. And uh, it probably started. Well, it started with my kids, actually. So my, you know, I would make bedtime stories for my kids it got more elaborate. I needed to start writing things down to keep things consistent because they were catching me on things. And I'm like, okay, let me start writing this story I was making up, you know, uh, ad hoc. And at the end, I started to get the writing bug. And so I started looking into, okay, well, what does it take to do, you know, to be an author? And I started dabbling, started writing, I knew some people, and, um, and and it was largely traditional publishing that I was looking at. And, um, you know, cut to the chase, eventually, you know, I, I had what ended up being the first book that I did publish, um, you know, accepted by a major publisher. And, uh, or at least uh, accepted by the editor. And... Uh, the process ended up going sideways quickly because the publisher was, um, yeah, subscribing to something called Own Voices, which I had no idea what any of that was about, and uh, and and the problem, you know, you know, you have a problem when the the guy who's looking to buy your book sends you an email and says, "Hey, can we talk on the phone?" And I'm like, oh, "Okay." Um, you know, normally we only ever communicated on email, but okay, on the phone's fine. This would be interesting. And, um, you know, he was very complimentary and everything else. And eventually came to the point where it's like, hey, that main character of yours. Now, this happened to have been Primordial Threat, you know, the first book I did publish. And um, one of the main characters happens to be this scientist guy who I, I somewhat resemble. 
Um, but I, I do not resemble necessarily the skin tone. Yeah. And the request from the publisher was, hey, you know, can you change your main character to anything else? And I was like, why? And then they tried to explain the own voices thing. And I'm like, you know, something about representation. And I was just, you know, my mind turned off at that point. I was like, you're kidding me. I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not changing the race of my character. You know, this is, this is like a character who, you know, I, I could relate to. And it's like, you're telling me I can't write this? All right, if, if I stop, if I allow you to do this, where does it stop? I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. And they ended up saying, okay, well, I, I'm not going to be able to go forward with it. I was like, that's okay. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be okay. And um, the six weeks later, give or take, I figured out how to self-publish. And a couple months later after that, it hit USA Today. What year um, was this? I'm curious. This was right around 2019, 2018 okay. time frame. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And, and, and Larry had actually helped me with a, uh, a book bomb at, at the time. So, yeah, because yeah. I, I had met you. I think the first time I met you was at a book signing in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, and so I knew you a little bit. And then I, I got to know you on the Internet afterwards. We went out to dinner. Yeah. And uh, had a good time. And then when your book came out, I was like, and I heard the own voices story. I was like, oh, yeah, I got to. I got to give this guy a boost. Yeah. I got to, I got to promote this when it comes out. Yeah. So, so, so that's how the indie thing started. And, uh, you know, for me, it's, uh, you know, like, like I said, I never expected this, uh, you know, for myself and, uh, you know, publishing now in, you know, English, French, Spanish, German, over a million copies sold of my stuff. And yeah. You've going, been on the well. USA Today list three times. Yep. Uh, Primordial Threat, Darwin Cipher, and, uh, you know, one of my Levi Yoder novels, you know, uh, I'll hit USA Today. Yeah, and a, a million copies sold. That's huge. Yeah. And the uh, fun thing, too, fun factoid, is uh, this is the first episode where uh, we have two people on here who have co-written a book with Steve. Oh, dear. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, there's no way this is going to go well. <laughs> we could dish the dirt oh, on what it's gosh, really dang. like to work with Steve. Oh, it's just, you just wait for something. You don't know what you're going to get. It gets in your inbox and you're like, where did he get this from? Well, it turns out from the air. It's yeah. really it's really dark, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You sometimes wonder, what was he doing when he wrote this? Yeah. It's like, dang, Steve, are you okay, man? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I was... I was at the time, I was probably listening to really happy music, actually giggling as I <laughs> as I murder his entire city, like I did with with us in Operation Thrall. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's uh, we get asked a lot of questions on the show and uh, from the supporters. You know, supporters can always email questions to us, and we always try to answer them. But we get a lot of questions from guys who are going the indie route, right? And uh, Steve has a little bit of experience in that, and I have a little bit of experience in that. But my experience is really dated. Right. And so uh, one of the reasons we're excited to have you on is this is like an area of, like, of expertise for you because you're kind of kind of on the cutting edge of this. You've kept up with the changes in the industry. You know kind of like where we're at right now for uh, what they need to do to, to get their book out there. Right. Um, yeah. So, so I would say that, I mean, there, there are a lot of indie authors who, I mean, the reason you go indie is is Tradbub isn't right for any number of reasons, but, um, yeah, but, but, you know, folks who do indie, you know, do it in, you know, 
various ways. I mean, sometimes, you know, they call themselves indie, but they're actually going through smaller publishers. And, and, and you know, that, that, that's, you know, that's not generally what I do. Uh, so I, I'm, in effect, my own publisher, you know, and that's what I, I would call a traditional, you know, in my mind, when I think of indie, that's really, you're, you're doing it all. And you are the publisher. And, and for me, I, I literally, I, I'm somewhat insane. Uh, so I do it all. And obviously, I'm not the artist. I'm not, you know, but I contract with freelancers for everything. So, I mean, I've put out stuff in all formats, audio included, and internationally as well. So, you know, and that includes translation, you know, and, and you know, I, I, I do have an agent, but the agent I, you know, I, I, other than, you know, occasional, um, you know, movie item, movie things where pe people want to, um, you know, get the rights to, you know, you know, to get an option, um, they handle that. But other than that, I do everything. So. I, I am curious because you from where you started, it was just, you know, it was fun. It was, it was to tell stories to your kids and stuff. And then you're like, you go through the agenting process, get an agent, you're going, you're, you're meeting with editors at a major publishing house that goes sideways. And you're like, yeah, screw this. I'll, I'll just do it myself. Once you made that decision, what was your first, oh crap, I got to do this too moment. Yeah. So, uh, so the, the hardest thing, I think in any business is, is really finding good people to work with. Um, and, and I realized quickly, sure, I can write the stuff, but I don't care how good of an author you are. You need a really good quality editor that you can trust. Um, yep. and, and I think, you know, the, the bar is pretty low to hang your shingle out and say, I'm an editor. So, you know, caveat emptor there, you know, it, there's a lot of people who say that and then you see their product yeah, and it's awful. Right. Right. But they're right. still getting business because people just look on the internet and say, Oh, this guy's an editor. Right. And, and, the, and the thing is, is, you know, I, everyone has, I mean, I, I had some somewhat unnatural, you know, advantages because, yeah, you know, most people don't even realize this. I mean, sure. I've, I've had a lot of success. I've, uh, I, to be honest, uh, from the first full year that I was an author, I've been making six figures or better since. Um, so, so I've been blessed with that regard. Um, but so you most, had resources to turn to to get quality talent, right? I, I, I mean, I can I can take earnings and put it back into the business, so to speak. And, and you know, most people don't even realize that this is my second job. Yeah. And so, you know, so I, you know, I made a promise a long time ago to my wife. It's like, you know, I'm not going to quit job one until the kids are out of school. And I got a kid who's looking to do his PhD. So I've got a while. Um, <laughs> <you know. laughs> um, so, so all the school. Yeah. 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 So, so starting to feel personal. At yeah, this point, yeah, right? yeah. 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 Like, oh, like, oh, yeah. But so, 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 so this is, this is, yeah, I, I wouldn't even say it's part-time. It's probably full-time for me. But I'm doing two jobs at once. So, um, but but going back to the, the the biggest aha moment is like I really need to find good quality, like a good quality editor, and then you know 
And, and for me, the process evolved because, yeah, the, the editor thing, for whatever reason, was a easier thing for me because I, I, I had some contacts in TradPub, you know, from my days courting them. And um, so I knew, like, you know, I, I actually knew who to reach out, like a, a former editor-in-chief for one of the major TradPubs who'd retired and was doing a freelance. I was like, groovy. Now, she was expensive. Um but I was able to swing that one. And I'm like, okay. But I'm like, eh, you know, it's like, it, it, but she primarily, you know, she, she wasn't comfortable doing, uh, I primarily do thrillers. I, I dabble in fantasy. Um, and she, you know, she was more comfortable with fantasy. So I was like, yeah, I, I need to find another alternative. So, but eventually I, I was able to, yeah, I, 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 oddly enough, it's the same. I use the same editor as you, Howie does. Um, or did, or I don't know if he still is writing or not. He's still, um, yeah, he's still writing. Okay, so yeah. um, the problem I had was with the graphic arts and um, yeah, the cover, book covers and stuff. And the funny thing is, I, I you know, finding a good quality um, artist isn't as hard as one might think. Um, but the thing is, is, and this is something I had to develop over time. The what makes a good book cover. You know, and, and I, I oftentimes use this when I when I talk about you know any of the indie experiences. I'll put side by side two copies of covers that I've had over the years um, for Darwin Cipher in particular, um, and, and both of them have the USA Today moniker. So it was after it actually hit big, you see the old cover and you see the new cover, and the old cover, the graphics are great. You know, I mean the art quality is really good. And, and the new cover, the one I'm using now, is really, you know, I, I don't want to denigrate it, but it's, it's much simpler. It's a photo bash composition of things, but it's a very simple theme. And it, anybody who looks at the two side by side goes, no doubt about it, the simpler one I'm using now is much better. The other one does look amateur, you know, but both in just... You know, the title and construction and everything else. I mean, there's just, you know, the artist wasn't, the, the, the artist was an artist, not a book cover designer. And it, ma it matters, but I didn't know the difference. And I didn't have, my radar wasn't tuned to that. Well, so. they say that, the, you know, they don't judge, don't judge a book by their cover, but the customer does. Yeah. yeah. And they're going to. Yeah. yeah. 100% of the time. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, and, and sometimes you don't know what you don't know when when you're starting off, and 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 so you you eventually figure out going. Yeah, it's like I'm seeing other covers that look really good. I look at my old cover. I'm going, yeah, it 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 feels wrong. Yeah, and it's like let me let me redo it and just see what happens. I'm like, oh, this one's not so much better. Well, and it's not it's not just the uh, but art, but also the typography. Oh, and the yeah. layout oh, and, yeah. and that's something i see a lot of indie authors miss i'll get like what they think is a pretty picture right uh especially now with like we told another episode but like we can talk about like the ai art and people are like i'll get a pretty piece of ai art and then but it's just awful really when you get into it and it, plus it looks like you could tell what it is right. and which looks cheap and then the type but then you can even have a pretty picture but then the typography and like the layout just is not right yeah. You just put like Comic Sans over the yeah. top. Of you it. might as well. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's bad. It's just bad. Yeah, you know, it just and, and, and a bad cover 
can kill a good book. Right. And, and, and because and, and one of the key lessons I learned from that process uh, on, on the whole book cover thing for me was, uh, and, and this, is the, this is the only, only an indie will actually learn this lesson. Because as a trend pub, this is not something you worry about. You, you're lucky if the publisher ever tells you what the cover is going to look like before it comes out. Yeah, you know, we, we, we get an email and they, yeah. this is your cover. Right. It's like, right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. So well, one of the key lessons I learned, because in my mind, when I was telling the artist, I mean, the artist is going to do what you ask him to do. Yeah. Or her to do. Theoretically. Uh, yeah. Theor- theoretically. If they're good, they're like, all right, yeah, what's your vision for this? What do you want me to draw? And <laughs> yeah, they're a blank canvas, literally, and, you know, and go from there. So yeah, in my mind, I was like, well, here's a scene I'm thinking of, and I want to, you know, these two scenes, it's, it's kind of, and it has meaning and purpose and whatever. And I learned very quickly from that experience that I am not an art director. Um, I'm not good at book cover design. And I should have as little as possible involved with the creation of the details of the cover. Um, now, now, what I do do now you know, with my cover artists is um, I was like, this is what the book's about. Here's the summary of you know, scenes that are in there. Um, have at it, you know, I mean, obviously for people who are skilled and know what they're doing and they can come up with something, you know, because I'm not the right person because I, you know, I'm too in my head and, you know, want to translate that to the cover and, and, and it doesn't work that way. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a real quick break. We come back. We'll, uh, we'll continue on the conversation and we'll get into some of the nuts and bolts of, um, what Rothman here is, is, has learned over these years doing the indie thing. So we'll be right back. I know what you're thinking. What is Steve doing here in the middle of the commercial break? Trust me, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't important. And what is important? Well, how about the new revised edition of my first novel, Residue? So what all did I revise? Well, I'm obviously not the title because it's still called Residue. I'm not stupid. But I did revise the entire novel to add new content. We're talking more guns, monsters, and mad science. So if you've been waiting for the chance to read about Jack Bishop, a guy who can see the psychic residue left behind by monsters and murder victims, now is your chance. Residue. Available in print, ebook, and audio on Amazon.com. Alright, back to your regularly scheduled ads or whatever it is you do during the time Larry and I aren't talking. See ya. All right, everybody, welcome back. Okay, as everyone knows, we we take questions from our supporters quite a bit. Um, And if you haven't noticed, somehow, um, I actually do watch our Facebook group and see what kind of questions pop up in there really frequently. And there's a couple of ones that pop up man, I want to say once a week, once every other week, something like that. And, and a lot of people are like, oh yeah, let's have, let's, we, we need, we need, we need a, an episode about this. And I always say, yeah, we're going to get someone on eventually about that. Maybe, probably someday. Well, now is that well, time. Today is that day. <laughs> okay. There's been two major questions that are often asked. And being that Larry and I, of up until this moment have been basically just traditionally published. Um, we don't know the answers to this. And so one is how do you go about taking your property 
and your, your book, short stories, whatever you have, and turn them into audio. That whole process. Right. And then the other one being, well, how do I get my stuff into a foreign translation into, into some other market? And is it even worth it? Sure. So, so let's start with, with audio. Right. Um, you and I were talking about this just the other day. Um, and you have a really unique perspective on this. So, so you take it away. Sure. Um, okay. So, so with audio, uh, there are a couple of, and, and, I, and I'm going to actually mi mix a little bit because I've done audio both in English and in, mm -hmm. uh, and in German. Um, so having to deal with both. And, and so now how people get things translated or not translated, but you know, turned turn into audio is typically one of two ways. Uh, I mean, you're going to go through very much like a trad pub would, um, you know, you know, there are a lot of companies that a lot of indies deal with, you know, so, you know, even most indies who have audiobooks oftentimes are actually hybrid because they're very few. I mean, so some some of the traditional publishers actually have in-house audio that they do, but a lot of them contract it out to Audible or Blackstone or Tantor or whatever. Um, so a lot of indies will go to one of these companies, uh, and especially, yeah, if you have sales, and, and and you know, a lot of times they'll come to you and go, "Hey, we noticed you." made some sales here they're pretty hungry for content right right and, and 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 this is all a business so for them you know they've got folks with their ear to the ground going all right well you know this this um you know this steve Downing guy is selling quite a bit of these uh you know suspense thrillers let's go ahead and uh go talk to him um and and they'll reach out to you and and like any trad pub deal they'll basically come up with some agreement that you're okay with and and they handle everything um you know from the they'll just take your manuscript as the input and they'll figure out who the narrator is they'll go master it and they'll get it onto the storefront yeah it's you know other than you getting paid ultimately that's it you know you, you don't, it is hands-off and it's pretty much a trad pub like route uh for audio um now for those who haven't been approached or you know aren't able to get the attention of some of these companies um there is a freelance route now i actually opt for the freelance route because i'm greedy and i want more money um oh, and, no. yeah and, and and here's the reality i mean from a business perspective uh the you know the, the book companies will typically well let's just say that your audiobook sells, you know, for fifteen dollars. I'm just making up a number, but or twenty dollars, or a nice round number. Um, yeah. Oftentimes, yeah, and, and it varies greatly on the contract, but oftentimes you'll get about ten to fifteen percent of that, you know, through Audible or through whomever. Um, so of that, you know, twenty bucks, you you you'll you'll get three. Yeah, yeah, two, two, two to three bucks. Okay, so that is what it is. Um, now, your other option is to go freelance, and there's a couple of distribution mechanisms. Now, in the U, you know, so it varies. So, uh, and I'll get specific here. So, folks in the U.S. and in a couple of other countries have direct access to something called ACX, 
um, which ha just happens to be a service that you know will distribute to uh, to Amazon, uh, iTunes, and uh, it makes your book available in most places that you care about. Um, they have two deals. You know, if you go exclusive with them, which I choose to do personally, um, because it gives me the highest percentage, and you get like a forty percent cut. So of that, instead of the two to three bucks, I'll get eight bucks. Yeah, you know, for that sale. Again, fictional numbers, but you know it scales. Um, so I like eight dollars more than two or three. Um, so, but what does that mean? That means there's more responsibility on my part. So for me, that means I need to go find someone with a pretty voice, prettier than mine, you know, someone who can act, I can't act, um, and who hopefully has some experience doing this stuff. And, um, you know, so, you know, if you go to like the ACX website, that, that's, you know, they, they have ways of finding narrators, you know, and you can oftentimes listen to their samples, go, do you like that voice? Do you not like that voice, et cetera? And they have pricing and, you know, all, all the normal a la carte type of thing you would expect to see. Um, now, now, some people, in, depending on where, where you are in the world, um, you know, and I know the dojo is international, so, you know, um, you might not actually have direct access. I know, like, folks in Australia and, like, Germany and other don't have access for whatever bizarre reason to ACX. So there's other options, like Find A Way, I think is, or I think it's Find A Way. I'll have to double check. But, um, yeah, th there are other services that offer equivalent. Um, and, yeah, ultimately, you have to find the narrator that's, one, willing to work with you. And... Um, and, and, and a bit more detail, um, you know, someone's going to go, yeah, but how, how pricey is, you know, it to do this stuff? So so there's typically, again, with a trad pub, when the trad pub approaches you, it's no cost to you. They ultimately pay you one way or the other. Um, so obviously that's a freebie. And if, if, if money is a problem, that would be the preferable thing. Um, now, when you're freelancing with narrators, um, there are two options. A lot of people talk about royalty share. Uh, and royalty share basically means that, imagine that Steve had the dulcet tones of the you know, narrator that I was looking for. That's right. Yeah. Right here. Exactly. These, these vocal cords of goodness <laughs> right here. Um, so, so, you know, and I'm going to go, hey, do you want to do a royalty share? You know, which, which basically means, you know, let's say the normal fee I'd be paying them of, you know, $10 to, you know, get it all. I'd have to, you know, may, maybe I only pay them five, but we end up splitting the revenue from the audiobook. So he's got skin in the game to make it good um, and it costs you less or maybe costs you nothing. It, it just depends on the deal. Um, so now the gotcha is think about it from the narrator's point of view. Most narrators, especially if you're relatively new or relatively unknown or whatever, you know, and some narrators just never do royalty share because they've been burned too many times. You know, because for them, they're like, okay, I'm going to work for less than I normally would with the hope that their book will sell, um, that the audiobook will sell. And if it doesn't, they're, they're SOL. You know, they're not, they're, they made a poor choice. So, you, you may find challenges um, 
especially with established narrators. But you know, sometimes you'll find a new narrator, uh, narrator who, who's great. He's just not made a name for himself yet or herself. And you might luck out and find someone who's willing to do it just to get audience or get get books out there and you know build up their resume. So there's always opportunities to find stuff like that. And you know, and again, you you can usually listen to what they sound like and go go with that. Um, and 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 that's yeah. And, and the other option is you you just pay whatever the hourly rate is for the finished book. I mean, they call it PFH per finished hour. So like if you've got a 10 hour long audiobook, what's the rate? Now, if you're talking about a SAG narrator, you know, you're, you're talking about, you know, $300 per finished hour. So it's like a $3,000 expense for an audiobook of 10 hours. Yeah. You know, to give you an idea. Um, yeah. Not everyone. I, I would say $300 is, Roughly speaking, the going rate. I mean, I have a, an excellent narrator, and, and and that's roughly what I pay. Huh? Yeah, um, and I know I know people who've hired like actual movie stars. Yeah, for yeah. for their independent books, and it, it could go up dramatically. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, you there. could pay like fifteen thousand dollars for an audiobook. Yeah, no problem. Um, and, and and I just choose not to. Now, there is a twist on that that's related to the second question. Uh, you know, like because I've done foreign uh audio and, and oh and, and I, yeah so let me, let me finish the english part so so the, you know so you hire the narrator you give them the script and you know and you usually give them information about you know if anyone has an accent or if you have any funny words you want pronounced a certain way so you give them instructions and ultimately their job is to give you the finished mp3s or whatever that is your book now um Typically, what, you know, and this is all stuff that the audio companies normally handle for you. Now you've got what is essentially a finished book, but there may be some hiccups. You know, like he, he didn't say this, he skipped a sentence or he skipped a word or, yeah. So for me, I know what I personally do is I will, you know, and this gives me an opportunity to find mistakes so i'll listen to the audiobook with the manuscript up at the same time and i'll go through every second of that book next to the manuscript and what i find is usually two things and i've got an yeah i've got an audi winner narrator he's a total pro and there's never been a time i didn't find a couple pages worth of things that i'm like okay you've got this you know a little thing here a little thing here um yeah so there's always something um, and, 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 but the benefit of doing that also is you'll, you'll find things where all of the eyes, all the editors, everybody missed, you know, when you hear the book and you see the uh, words and the guy said it, you know, the, the, the guy self-corrected a mistake on your man manuscript. You, you skipped the, the, for whatever reason, and no one had caught it. He didn't, and, but you noticed it because you're listening to the audio and watching and reading it at the same time. And you go, oh, wow, I, I missed something. All right, so it gives you an opportunity to fix your manuscript if there's a problem. You know? And then the other thing is, you know, that's a benefit to the author, is sometimes you'll hear it orally and you go, that doesn't sound good. And let me rephrase that sentence and go, you know, 
Sorry, narrator. Yeah, yeah. Here, here's a different way to say this. Yeah, yeah. I, I've changed a paragraph on you. I'm sorry. Yeah, here you go. And it gives you an opportunity to fix your manuscript yet again, uh, because now that you're hearing it, you're going, eh, I didn't like the way I wrote that. You know, let me do it better. Yeah, that's why I, I, when I edit, I read out loud. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, the question for you, logistically, so when you do corrections like that, do they go back and they charge you per studio hour again? No, to, no, it's part, uh, part least, of your contract. It, it, uh, at least part of the way I work with narrators is is it's part of it, it's the finished hour PFH per finished hour. So only when the book is done, obviously, do I get charged. Okay. So so I, I consider that part of yeah. I, no, no, no narrator is going to give you a crystal clean you know, version you know, in the get go. You know, they may look it over. They'll miss it too. So it gives you an opportunity. Cool. I mean, I've done a lot of stuff in audio, but it's all been through Audible. Right. And so I don't know any of the backend stuff. So that's yeah. actually and, really neat. and I'm sure someone I'm sure someone there is is more or less doing the same thing exactly. that you're doing, right? Yeah. There, there's yeah. there's some like QC guy over there Absolutely. who's who's got the manuscript up, they're listening to it, and, and they're like, Oh crap. Tim Gerard Reynolds, I can't believe you missed this. Blah blah blah. Yeah, I can't even you know, imagine like what, what Tim Gerard Reynolds gets paid per furnished hour. Yeah. Or, 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 or Ollie Wyman or, or Bronson Pitcher or Adam Baldwin. Yeah. I mean, holy crap. I mean, I don't even I bet I bet, I bet Adam Baldwin made more for Tom Stranger than I did. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and th th think about it. He this deserves way. it too. He deserves for the record, I'm not complaining. I'm saying that he deserves it. And, and, and think about it. You know, I spent, you know, let's say it's a 10 hour book. I spent, you know, let's say twelve hours jotting notes and pausing and and, and and you know going through it. Not and I got the side benefit of going ahead and you know making my manuscript probably better. There's never been a time that I didn't tweak something that was in my manuscript because there, you know, one of the issues I I talked about. Um, so I made my manuscript better. Um, it was twelve hours out of my life. Okay, you know, so time is money. But you know what? You know, for every copy of that audiobook I sell, I'm making six dollars more than I would have otherwise going through a trad pub, you know, through one of the audio companies. So I'm like, yeah, it's worth it. Huge percentage difference. Yeah. yeah. So why not? Okay, so so I, I think that that kind of helps. Um, at, at that point, after you do the review, I'm curious. Um, you, you do your review. You're like, you, you send it off to the narrator. They send you back a, a, a clean document or right. document, a clean file right. at that point. So then what's the last, yeah. Mile? What's that last little bit? Yeah. So, so what that they'll send me back the finalized version, you know, pay the bills of course. And, you know, and, and at that point in time, ACX or the find a way guys or whatever, they have a portal where you upload your final version to. So, and, and that's typically composed of two things. It's your audio files. And, and, and what, yeah, so it's all the book chapters and whatever. Uh, so you upload those and you upload the audio cover, you know, which is usually some kind of mangled up version of your original cover. Um, yeah. And that, that too is another thing that, you know, the audio companies will typically do. They'll construct a audio, a, a new audio cover. Sometimes it'll look similar to your book. Sometimes they'll just make something up, you know, completely out of whole mm -hmm. cloth. You'll, you'll see it both ways. Um, yeah. And, and you know, you upload it. It goes through their QA process back, usually in Audible, which um, takes about how long? Usually takes about two weeks. Yeah, okay. that, ten business days is what they say. Um, I've seen it take longer. So I mean, I usually give myself a month of time. You know, from from when I want it to you know be released 
you know, I kind of rewind back a month and go, I, I hope to be uploading this a month ahead of when I need it. <laughs> so, you know, which gives me enough time for the QA nonsense to go through. And, you know, if there's any, you know, the, the portals are actually pretty good. They'll detect if there's any audio, like if, if the frequencies are too high, you know, it needs to get tweaked or whatever. They, their, their portal is pretty good about detecting issues. So I've never have had anything rejected out of QA personally so okay all right so let's let's shift gears a little yep. bit now and and i and i know that we're gonna we'll come back and we are going to touch on on the whole audio aspect again here in right. just a sec but so the next question that, that we often get is should i how do i and even and should i get my books translated into other languages and right. how does that process work so so Let's talk about the should. Um, so generally speaking, you got to look at it this way. If your book is not particularly selling well in English, there's no reason to believe that it would sell well in other languages. So, I mean, that's just kind of a common sense rule of thumb type of thing. And and the reason I note that right, right up front is you're going to spend some money to do this. You're investing in something that if hypothetically you're not making much money on already, you, you might be digging a deeper hole. So, you know, so whether I should or shouldn't really is premised on, am I doing okay in English? You know, so I have some confidence in, in the book and, and, you know, there, there's a readership that I've found in, in the English language. It stands to reason if the answer is yes, then it would probably be okay in other languages, depending, you know, um, so, so whether someone should, uh, so uh, I'll give some stats. Um, so uh, I'm published in English, German, Spanish, and French right now. Um, I make more money outside of English than I do inside of English. Like in total? In total. Right. In total. Um, yeah. So my answer would be yes. <laughs> um, yeah, and and I would start with Germany uh, because they seem to have a readership demographic that seems very similar to um, uh, what we experience in most of the English-speaking world. And the higher percentage of the population are readers too. Right. So yeah, even yeah. though there's like a smaller country, they, they have a much yeah. higher percentage of readers absolutely. than we do. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and the irony is, is that, um, you know, I'll just use, one example, because I, I know it off the top of my head, is, um, you know, I think the number of Amazon reviews on, like, Darwin Cipher, one, just one of my books, in the English world, we got, like, 1,800, 2,000 reviews or something on Amazon. You know, I, I've, I'm approaching 6,000 in Germany. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, it's neither here nor there. I mean, it, it, is everyone going to experience the same thing? Not necessarily. Yeah, I'm just saying what yeah, I'm experiencing. Yeah, it's hard to it's it's hard to guess how your book's gonna tr like how it's gonna be received in a different culture. Yeah, because like I did not so like Monster Hunter in Germany, eh, you know, done okay. Yeah, but not good, just okay. But then Hard Magic in France blew up huge, is a yeah. huge hit. Yeah, would I have predicted either of those? Absolutely not. Right, and, and, and I think that that's one thing to be really conscious of is you know there are different sensibilities and 
the different geos. Uh, like for instance, German. Yeah, I, I I hate to use stereotypes ever, but yeah, you know, the stereotypes exist for a reason. You know, the German guys, you know, German readers, gals, guys, whatever. Um, that they're 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 big into thrillers. They're big into science stuff. You know, they're very engineer oriented. Um, you know, from a reader popularity perspective, those tend to do pretty well. Now, that's not to mean any of the you know, other things don't. It's just, I know, for, like I, I've, I've published, literally, I think I've mirrored my, you know, everything I publish in English, I, it's an automatic publish in German. So, um, you know, I just do it uh, at, at this stage. Um, and, and, and I see a, a lot of parallels, um, but, you know, Darwin, you know, Darwin is a medical thriller. So it, it just kind of shows where it's like, you know, my fantasy in, in Germany does about as well as it did in English. Um, you know, whereas, you know, my hard sci-fi and, you know, yeah, more hardcore science-y thriller stuff does better in German for whatever reason. It's a, you know, yeah, and we all think of German folks as engineers and very numbers and whatever. Yeah, maybe it's true. <laughs> yeah, roller locking bolts and complicated yeah. stuff like that. Right, right. And David right. Hasselhoff. David yeah. Hasselhoff. Yeah. So when you're making uh, a foreign translation, is there a portal to go through? Like when you do audiobooks, or do you have to do this individually? Yeah. Like the, entry? This this is actually where I think it, it gets. It's actually simple, but it's difficult at the same time. And, and think about it from this perspective. There are a lot of people who, you know, let's assume you're a typical person in uh, English. Uh, you don't speak German, as an example. Um, so anyone could hang their shingle and say, I'm a German translator and quality and this and that. You're not going to know anything. Um, you know, how, how do you assess? You know, is this guy good? Not whatever. Um, and, I, and I use guy in in the gender neutral form of the guy. Um, Did you yeah, just misgender yeah. all of the <laughs> narrators out there? Often? Exactly. Come on, man. Yeah. Um, so, so he, he, here's the thing I want, I want folks to think about. Yeah. It's like translation of, let's say a restaurant menu. It's a legitimate task, but the skill set associated with translating single sentences, cheeseburger, this, whatever, is way different than, you know, if you had to translate a story, you know, and, and you're, in a sense, having to construct, you know, think about it from English, you know, where, you know, can, can how, many, how many people are, can write a good restaurant menu and how much more of a skill set is it to write a story? Uh, even with a guide, you know, a, a, another version of the thing to guide you, it's difficult. It's a different skill set. And most, and I would say 99% of the translators that advertise their services aren't book translators. They're translators of all sorts of websites, this, that, whatever. It's not books. Well, there's so, so much there's so much context yeah. in what we write. That um, one thing oftentimes I've we don't even know. Yeah. Idioms. Americans, yeah. we use idioms nonstop. Yeah. And a lot of times that does not have any 
correlation in a, right. in a foreign language. You had this with the Czechs, right? A lot. Because like American idioms, like the Czechs have entirely different idioms. So a lot of times I'll send them a book and I'll use like some American slang idiom and they'll be like, uh, and my, I love my Czechs. The, yeah. the, the Czech, my Czech translator is awesome. He's a great writer in his own right. So he actually understands uh, writing. And he'll come back and he'll be like, okay, we don't have an idiom like that. The closest thing I can think of is we say, and he'll say what it is in Czech. And he's like, it means, you know, you know, uh, don't don't buy the cow if you get the milk for free, whatever it may right. be. You know, right. you know what I'm saying? And uh, I'll be like, okay, yeah, that gets the same. Just uh, cool. That that gets the same general idea. Exactly. And and you know, your your target narrator is going to be facile in both sets of languages they'll understand what you're saying and the gist of what you're saying you, you know idiom or not and they'll they'll have equivalent or or no they'll work something out where you know it makes sense in in the other it language. might even get more literal in that part and they'll just spell out what you're saying right 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 and and, and that's the gotcha you know and i have a method that i use which is a cheat method of getting you know so like the narrators i use you know, some of you may have heard of David Baldacci, um, Tom Clancy, you know, those kind of people. I've stolen a lot of their narrators, <laughs> or, or sorry, not narrators, uh, translators. Um, yeah. So I'll go ahead and go, all right. You know, like, like for instance, the problem statement when I first went into German going, all right, I know the problem is big getting a competent writer in German and I can't vet it. I'm not a German speaker. Yeah, I, I can ask I've to had go to the bathroom. Yeah. Who speak in foreign or read my books in foreign languages and in English, and they're and they'll, they'll complain to me about what well, I didn't like in this one part how they changed what this thing means or what they right. changed this or that, and I'd be like, I have absolutely no idea. Yeah, I, I it's not like I get to proofread this because I right. don't speak any of these you know yeah. three or four differently. I speak English poorly. Right, right, <laughs> right. Know? So I, I'm not really able to go through and, and proofread read that and say, okay. The French got this wrong in this yeah. particular book because I, I can't read it. I have no clue. Right, and so, and so the you know knowing I had this huge issue, and I'm and I'm not a trusting person, so I'm like, all right, so I'm gonna trust. I mean, I'm gonna hand this person a whole pile of cash to go translate something, and I can't even really figure out. I mean, I'm not gonna depend on Google Translate to tell me what kind oh, of mishmash. That's yeah, because that's just be. gonna give you back right. trash. Right. So so I'm like, you know. I, I, you know, one, I'm not trusting and there's a reason I'm not trusting. So how do I overcome this huge hurdle of I need a quality translator that I can trust? I'm like, okay, let me go look for bestsellers in that country. Who translated it? Because almost if you go to like the Amazon.de and go, let me look up Brandon Sanderson. Okay. You know, Brandon Sanderson, almost all of the German versions of that. And I'm just using Brandon as an example. Um, he'll list the translator. Yeah. Yeah. Because obviously Brandon's source material is in English. So, uh, you know, we, we're not used to seeing translators listed on the storefront because we're looking at the English websites and they start off in English. But if you look at, you know, foreign sites, um, especially with source material that was in English, you'll see translators listed almost all the time. Hmm. Um, and you go, okay, well, if Brandon trusted them, you know, or the comp, you know, the publisher for Brandon, it's like, all right, you know what? I, I have some trust in whoever did that one. Let's see if I can reach out and, you know, will they do stuff for me? And usually the answer is no. But eventually you'll find someone who says, 
I don't know. I haven't done it, but okay, maybe. <laughs> yeah, because it like, turns out you actually wound up for German hiring a translator, the same one that translated my books. Yeah, in and it was complete uh, because he, he happened to have done some of Baldacci's stuff. Yeah. And I because I didn't hire him, he we sold because Bayon held the foreign rights and sold it to the German right publishing house who employed him. Right, and, and and the funny thing is, the only reason I even found out was um, in one of my books, uh, in one of my Levi Yoder books, uh, I actually, you know, and the guy has like, you know, um, you know, eidetic memory, so he can remember everything he's read. And, and you know, so I have a scene where I, you know, a person picks up a book, happens to be, monst- you know, this monster, you know, strange monster hunter novel. He's like, you know, I was like, you know, and he, the main character I just said, uh, yeah, I can remember everything I see. And they're like, all right, prove it. And, 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 I, and I quoted like, you know, a quote from like some, you know, ch- Papa chapter 15 or whatever. <laughs> and, I, you know, so I recite, you know, I had them him recite it. And the translator, you know, eventually, you know, emailed me when he was translating that book and go, I'm pretty sure I got that part right because I've done it once before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I remember when you messaged yeah. me that, and I was like, "Whoa, really? Yeah. That's awesome!" Yeah, yeah. And, and, and when you said that, I looked it up. I was like, "Oh, yeah. he's done several of your books." So That's like, cool. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, it, you know, it ends up being you know, once you can, you know, that that that's my secret of getting a good narrator is you know, look look for authors that you know, you know, sell well, have trend, you know, English source that's been translated into that target language. And and you have to just kind of assume. So then, after done. you have the files, then you just go through the same Amazon process, but just for Amazon.de or yeah, FR. Yeah. Or I, I, absolutely. So yeah, and the process is, is very similar to any other process where yeah, I handed them the original manuscript. He yeah you know, yeah hands it back to me in its finished copy edited format, and then I just upload. And, and, and there's obviously a secondary piece where I have the cover artist change all the lettering and whatever to, you know, the foreign language. Um, but, you know, but, you know, normally when you're uploading to Amazon or whatever, you're, you're giving them a, co- you know, the internal, co- you know, the manuscript part and, and the cover. You know, so you do both just like you would do for any other book. Yeah. Have you thought about expanding beyond those uh, languages? Um, I'm always open to it, you know, but, but I, I, I look at it as, you know, like, for instance, my most recent one is, is Spanish because, you know, <laughs> ger, ger, German, ger, you know, ger, German was actually, um, you know, an, an easy one because I knew that was a large market. So it was easy for me to pick that up. And, uh, you know, and I went to French because I knew that was kind of like number two. And, um, you know, in, in Spanish is by numbers number three so i'm experimenting with it and it's, it's doing well uh it's just a slow process because you know I, I, well, in some places i have multiple translators working concurrently um and uh you know so i've got just the one and, and oddly enough she happens to be a baldacci and <laughs> for whatever reason uh she, she does baldacci stuff as well and, and a couple other people so um so yeah, it, it's a slow process, but well, uh, I do an, it, I do know an awesome check. Just saying. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and that's the and, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, and I think anyone do it looking at translation needs to look at, um, you know, it's going to cost you some money. Um, and well, because like one, I'm, I'm actually because there's a couple that there's a couple countries because like I said, uh, Bayon's got my my foreign rights. They're selling them, but 
Uh, a couple of countries haven't picked me up, so I'd be curious about doing this process myself just yeah. to see what happens. Yeah. Get those and just go for it. Like specifically, like I'm not in Poland. Right. Yet I have friends that are in Poland, and I know that the Poles share a lot. I, I do really well amongst the Czechs culturally just because of the sense of humor. Right. And so I'm actually really curious, like how, like if I was to do Monster Hunter in Polish, right. you know, how would that go? Yeah. And because that's actually a fairly big market. Right. Um, I'd be curious just to you know, give that a shot. The other one I'd actually be curious to do would do, uh, I would kind of love to do Taiwan. Uh, I've uh, heard that, because uh, I've not sold anything there. And I almost did at one point. I had to put, I don't know what happened to that deal. A publisher was interested in Hard Magic. Right. I loved more. But then that one fell through and I never got a contract for it. But I've heard that that's actually a really pretty gigantic audience and they're pretty voracious yeah. readers. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is, uh, I mean, I think it ends up being, yeah, ultimately, how quickly can you make your money back? That's the question. It is, is inevitably the, the, the question I anyone kinda, has I kind of want to roll the dice on a couple of these, odd, uh, like, like like the smaller oddball ones and just see kind yeah. of what happens. Yeah, and, and, and the thing is, is I, I find that most translators know other translators in adjacent languages and whatnot. So, like, yeah, so your Czech translator... You probably be able, he probably knows a Polish translator, you know, uh, and and it's probably reasonably easy to go test out the water, and and, and you know, so I, I I do know a little bit about you know some of the Asian languages, um, in, in as much as, um, so like for instance, I I think most people will find China is an impossible market to penetrate. Um, yeah, like I'm I, um, I can't imagine Larry Korea novels ever being allowed. <laughs> yeah, in, in mainland China. I just yeah. don't see that happening. Sorry, folks. There wasn't really a clean place to end this episode, but don't worry. We'll pick it up next week. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Korea. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Nivo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writerdojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. And David Hasselhoff.